0: Hey, happy Father's Day to all the dudes out there with kids. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Today is our day. Mama's had their day. Today is our day. Happy Father's Day. I'm excited about today, not just because it's Father's Day. I'm excited because God's doing a lot of great stuff in our church, guys. We're hearing a lot of great stories about how God is moving in families and how God is just providing and and opening up doors of opportunity for people, and people are overcoming things that they've been fighting with for a long time, and it's just really awesome to see God moving in a powerful way in the church. And we had—this is the third week in this facility for us, guys. Can you believe it's already been three weeks? It's amazing. Feeling like home yet? Yeah. Uh, So we're we're excited about this. A lot of work went into this facility. I don't know if you guys remember— but we set a goal when we were beginning the process of moving in here. I said it was probably going to be good for us to set a goal to be able to raise around $15,000 for us to be able to move into this facility and do what we wanted to do renovation-wise to give us a, a decent facility to worship God in. And I remember when we set that goal, some of y'all were like, yeah, let's do it. And some people were like, "Hmm." That's a lot of money because that was a lot of money for us as a church. It still is a lot of money for us as a church to put into a project. But I want to tell you something, guys. We got together and we prayed and we believed and we stood on the scripture that says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly above all that we could ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within us. And we stepped out in faith to get this facility. We stepped out in faith to give, to make stuff happen. And we raised just over $15,000 as a church for renovations for this facility. God is awesome. God is awesome. So we stepped out and we trusted him. And people showed up and worked and and. Blood, sweat, and tears went went into this place. Literally, you know, we're very we're very excited about this. Um, not because just we're you know it's all about a facility. We're excited about the potential of being able to reach people from this location for the glory of God, and that's that's why we're here. We want to reach our community for Jesus Christ. Another thing that's been happening that's just really cool because we're we're excited about what God's doing, and we're believing for God to do powerful things in and through us individually and as a church here, but. Uh, it's really cool when other people who don't go here get excited about what God is doing in the church. Amen? So I had a pastor buddy of mine. from a, he, he leads a larger church in, in New Mexico, and they're just reaching a lot of people. And they um, were praying, and he said, you know what? God, just kind of put you guys on our heart. And normally we give uh, you know, to missions from our church, and we sponsor certain missionaries. And one of the missionaries that we sponsored that we were going to give a big offering to um, decided that it was time for them to come back to the states for a few years, and they don't need the offering anymore. They don't need the funds to do the work overseas because they're coming back to the United States. And so we were praying about what to do with it, and we all felt, me and the board felt like we were supposed to sow into what God is doing at Eastgate Church in Douglasville. And I thought, whoa. That is awesome. That is awesome. When another pastor says we're going to take funds that we were going to pour into the vision of our church and turn around and sow it into the vision that God has given you guys to reach your community, that's a big deal, man. And so they all said they wanted to do it. And I said, oh, that's great, man. Praise God for another church that has a kingdom mindset. You know, We're not about building a kingdom for ourselves. We're about building the kingdom of God. And I praise God for somebody else that has that heart. And so they put the check in the mail and we were still busy doing stuff around here and getting ready for uh, opening service and kind of, honestly, I kind of forgot about it for a couple of days and then uh, I got a text from Pastor Jeremy or a call from Pastor Jeremy and uh, the check came in. Are you guys ready for this? They gave $10,300 to help us reach our community for Jesus Christ. How awesome is that? That is awesome. Why do you say all of that? Because God is providing. People are stepping up. God is moving. The vision is moving forward. It is happening like God said it would happen. So be encouraged in your spirit, guys. This is just the beginning of a great adventure for us as a church. Just the beginning of a great adventure. If you're a guest here this morning, welcome to Eastgate Church. My name is Josh. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here, which means I'm busy serving a lot of people. Leadership is servanthood in the kingdom of God, and so I'm busy serving a lot of people. You're not a guest here anymore, you're family. When you're here, you're family. Our cards say, welcome home, because that's what we want this to be to you. This is home, all right? So kick your shoes off if your feet don't stink, and let's get ready to have a great service today. But today is all about dads, celebrating the spiritual role of the father in the family and in the house. And we want to honor the dads today, just like we honor moms on Mother's Day, we honor dads on Father's Day because it's a powerful calling to be a father. Anybody can make a baby, but it takes someone special to stick around and be a dad, to invest the time. Anybody can get married, but it takes something special to become a husband to a wife. And so we want to celebrate your role in your kid's life and in your wife's life we want to celebrate your role and what happens here in the church because as the men go so the church goes as the men go so the family goes men are very important so if you're here today and you're a dad I would like to ask you not to embarrass you but to honor you I want you to get up stand up let's do it one step at a time if you're a dad stand up if you're confused about whether or not you're a dad, check with your wife. She'll tell you it real fast. <coughs> if you're, you're, you're confused about that, we, we, Pastor Brad will help walk you through that process and figure out. Just, now, All the dads here, look at these wonderful dads. Now, guys, I want to ask you to do one more thing for me. I want you to get out of your row, get out of your seat, come up here to the front so that we can give honor where honor is due because you are absolutely, absolutely worthy Of honor because of what you do for our family. (laughs) Pastor Jeremy, uh, maybe uh, Miss Rhiannon, if y'all could work together on this. We've got little gifts that we want to give. I know Jeremy's pulling double duty because he's, okay, she's gonna be sweet. We have a little gift we want to give to you. We give mom's gifts on Mother's Day. We give dad's gifts on Father's Day. Moms get pretty flowers and and awesome gifts. It seems a little weird to give a man a flower, so we decided to do something different. If you look inside your little box, gentlemen, and it may be hidden under the cotton that's in there, but inside that box, you're gonna find a nail. And you might be thinking, whoop de doo a nail. That's great, just what I needed. Something else to build something else with. Something else to fix something with around the house. (laughs) This nail is powerfully symbolic, though. And my hope is that this is something that you keep for years to come as a reminder of what it's going to represent to us as fathers. Because as a dad, sometimes you have to sacrifice. People talk about a mother's love a lot but I don't think enough spotlight gets put on a father's sacrifice. And there are times when we have to die to ourselves, die to our desires, die to our goals, set aside what we want to do for the betterment of our family, to put our wife and our children above ourselves, to serve them the way that the Bible says they should be served. It takes great sacrifice to be a father. The Bible says that you're supposed to love your wife the way that Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. He went all the way, sacrificing everything. So this no represents the sacrifice that's involved. You have to die to yourself. You have to die to sin. And put your family and your kids before yourself. It also represents the opportunity to build something because that's what you're doing as a father. You're building your wife into a beautiful woman of God and you're laying a foundation in the lives of your children that they're going to come back to later on in their life. Guys, I want to challenge you. To be the men of God in your home, and I want to challenge you to lay that foundation as skillfully as you possibly can, with all of your heart, with all of your effort. Because there's going to come a day when your wife and when your children are going to stand before God. Now they'll have to give the answers based on how they chose to live their lives, and they'll be accountable for how they chose to live their lives. But as far as it become be it being your hands and your responsibility. Do your best to set them up for success on that day. And lay the foundation in your home. Build a beautiful family that always reflects the heart of our Savior. Amen. Can we give God praise one more time for these awesome men? you know what, maybe you're here today and your dad's no longer with you. Don't let today be a day that's just full of sadness. Instead of mourning, and that's okay to do that, how about we remember today if our dads are no longer with us? Remember the good times that we had with them. Remember the memories remember the legacy and honor them for who they were in your life today and if you're here today and your dad was horrible sometimes that happens I want to remind you that today can be about your heavenly father while your earthly dad might have blown it you've got a father in heaven who is madly and passionately in love with you and don't you ever forget that amen father thank you for these awesome guys Lord, I pray a blessing over their life. Father, I pray, Lord, that they be the men that you called them to be in their household and their family. Whether their children are young or their children are old, they're still dad. And they still have a voice to speak into the lives of their kids. Let them be the husbands to the wives that you called them to be. And, Lord, if we're here today and we're missing that mark, I pray that we be encouraged today to up our game to become that person from this day forward. That everything we do, we do with integrity to honor you, Father. We be the men that you called us to be. Lord, we give you honor and we give you praise in your name. Amen and amen. You can be seated, guys, if you can. Let's give God praise one more time as they're seated. Man has an incredibly important role in the kingdom of God. Not just in the home, not just with his wife, not just with his kids. And not just in what's done in the church. But on a bigger picture, the man is incredibly important. And I want you to all tune in to me today. And I know I'm going to be talking a lot about guy stuff. And ladies, you might want to tune out on that. I encourage you to tune in and listen closely. Because if you're not married, we're going to be talking about some stuff that you're going to want to be looking for in the husband that you're going to choose. And if you're here and your guy isn't operating at the level that we know that he could be in the house, we're going to go over this stuff today. And ladies, I don't want you to be your husband's critic I want you to be your husband's greatest encourager, to encourage him to be the man that God has called him to be. Amen? Anybody can find fault, anybody can point fingers, but it takes someone special to see potential and speak it into existence and help someone get there in their lives. Man's incredibly important. When God began creating the universe that we see, He stepped out into literal nothing. Voidness, emptiness. And he began speaking. And he said, Let there be light. And there was light where there was darkness. And he began forming the planets. And he created the earth, spoken word. All the animals that we see, he created one by one. All the life he spoke into existence. In this beautiful act of creation, God is creating the entire universe that we see. To me, that's amazing. And atheists always argue, and and, and they say, well, okay, well, you say God created all this stuff. Where did God come from? And I always say, I don't know. We don't know where God came from. And I say, and they'll say, well, that's just ridiculous. I say, no, what, what I believe in is a whole lot more plausible than what you say you believe in because you say that everything that we see came from nothing. That's literally what they believe, that nothing came together and over billions and billions of years nothing became something think about that for a second nothing became something and the nothing began to, to spin around and, and compress and the nothing exploded into this and I'm like how did that happen what created the, the movement to cause the stuff that was nothing to compress. Where was the gravity? You can't have gravity without massive movement. Where did the mass come from? You know, intelligent questions. Well, it's easier for me to say God created everything. Where did God come from? That's a great question that I can't wait to ask him. Where did you come from? And he'll say, I've always been. I am that I am. That's just awesome to me. He began to create all of this stuff. And then he established something powerful. In the garden that he created, he made man. And then he made woman from the rib of a man. Every man in here, are you excited that God created women? Oh, you better answer that right, especially if your ladies right here. Wait, whoop, take two. Guys, aren't you excited that God created women? Man, I sure am. I'm glad he made them the way that he did. Because if women looked like dudes, wouldn't nobody? We would die off as a race of people. There would be no reproducing. I can I can guarantee you that it wouldn't be, probably not as much anyway. I'm glad that God created women the way that they did. I think my wife is beautiful. He created them and put them in the garden, and God established a system of authority. He established. his kingdom on earth and he said to Adam I'm going to make you in my image and in my likeness and I want you to reflect who I am and I'll be the God in the heavens and my authority and you'll have dominion on the earth and your authority that comes under my authority and you'll be a reflection of who I am in my creation and he said Adam up in the garden. And Adam started naming animals. Adam operated in dominion. God was able to look down and see a reflection of who he was in Adam's operation. He said, you will reflect my authority. You will reflect my kingdom on this earth. The Bible says that the man be the head over the wife. Not that women are inferior, but that how God established authority in the household. I am an authority over you as you reflect my authority in how you operate with your family and in this world. So they operate in the Garden of Eden for a while. And then in Genesis chapter 3 Satan Shows up on the scene. And Satan says. Since I can't attack God. I'm going to go after the one. Who's reflecting the image. Of the God. That I can't stand. Now the serpent was more crafty. Than any of the of the wild animals. The Lord God had made. And he said to the woman. Did God really say. You must not eat from any tree in the garden. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. God gave them this great big garden and said, this is yours, eat fruit from the trees, run around naked, have fun, oversee the stuff that I've given you to oversee, but don't eat the fruit from this one tree. And the enemy keys in on this to tempt them to fall into sin. Satan says, you certainly won't die. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom... She took some and ate it. See, she messed up because she gave a second look to temptation. And when you stare at temptation long enough, it's going to open up the door for trouble to happen, and that's what happened. She entertained the temptation. She saw, you know what? It is good. There are benefits to this. She played it over for a little bit. She talked herself into it. She took some and she ate it. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Everybody go, oh boy, we done messed up. We messed up right there. She gave it to Adam, and he ate it. And what's interesting to note is that she turned and gave it to her husband, who was right there. So it wasn't like she was in Douglasville, and he was in Nashville, Tennessee. Bro was right there, probably overhearing this whole discussion and seeing this whole thing play out, but he stayed silent. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man. He called to the man. Because the man represented the authority in the garden. He called to the man and he said, Where are you? Where are you? When Adam ate the fruit and disobeyed God, there was a huge power shift spiritually. In this world. Because until that point. Adam represented God's kingdom. And dominion on this earth. But when he fell into sin. He surrendered all of that. And we became slaves to sin. As a human race. We were born into bondage from there on out. Slaves to sin. Didn't have a choice in the matter. The Bible says. He surrendered all of that. In one moment. Of disobedience. And Satan swiped that authority and set up his kingdom on this earth. That's pretty messed up. So they blew it, and here comes God, and he says, Where are you? Where are you? And it's like not like God doesn't know the answer to the question. You know? He doesn't know the answer to the question. He knew where Adam was. He knew where Eve was. And it's not that God didn't really know how to resolve the problem that Adam had just committed. He knew how to resolve it. But God looked down from where he was and where he saw the reflection of his glory before. He looked down at Adam and he could not see himself anymore because he had fallen into sin. And he knew the solution to the problem. The Bible says that the Lamb of God was slain from the foundations of the earth. That means that God had a plan in place before all of this happened. So that he could bail us out when we jack things up. Isn't that awesome? And it's not that he didn't have the solution. It's not that he didn't know the answer to the question that he was asking. Where are you? But if you'll give me a couple of minutes, I want to kind of take some poetic license on something that's incredibly theologically solid. It wasn't that God didn't know the answer to the question. I believe that God needed to study the question. Let me think about this. Why couldn't Jesus have just been just warped right into this world, a full-grown man, and then later on that day walk up to a cross, and say, okay, here we go. I'm keeping it in a tight 24-hour set. I'm here. I'm a full-grown man. Boom. I'm going to die. going to be buried. And I'm going to be raised from the dead a few days later. It's going to be awesome. Why did he have to be born a child? You ever think about that? Why did he have to go through that process? Because he had to study the question. I'm going somewhere with this. Bear with me. He had to study the question. Where are you? Where are you? Because if you're God, can you be tempted? See, God had never known what temptation was. When Satan tempted Adam and Eve in the garden. Never been tempted. Maybe I know what it is, but I don't understand it because I haven't experienced it. God can't be tempted. Not in his glory. Can't be tempted. What is this sin? What is temptation? What what is this? I know how to fix the problem... But here's the deal. God loved us so much that he didn't just want to fix the problem. He wanted to understand why for himself and experience it. Now to me, that's powerful. So he spent 30 years of his life on earth answering that question. What it was like to be you and what it was like to be me. What it was like to be tempted. What it was like to be betrayed. What it was like to be let down. What it was like to have good times and to have bad times. He took the time to figure out what it was like to be what he had created. Because he didn't just want to solve the problem. He wanted to understand the question. That's amazing. Stop and think about this for a second. When Jesus fell asleep in that manger for the first time, you're talking about a God that had existed for eternity. Omniscient. Omnipotent. All-knowing. All-powerful. For the first time, closing his eyes and going to sleep. Because in this flesh... For the first time, he experienced what it was like to be fatigued in this body. That's amazing to me because he wanted to study the question. He wanted to know what it was like to be you and to be me. That I can reestablish this thing. I can reset what's been jacked up. I can fix this authority thing. I can, I can fix this sin thing, but that's not going to be enough for me. I don't want to just be a redeemer, I want to be a kinsman redeemer. And the Bible says that he was tempted in every way just as we are, but was found without sin. That's amazing. The Bible says that we have a Savior who we can go to, he's not somebody that can't sympathize or empathize with what we're going through because he paid the price to walk in our shoes. Maybe there's a lesson in there for the church somewhere. Maybe before we judge and maybe before we spout out solutions to people for what's going on in their lives, maybe we should shut our mouths and take a second and understand what it's like to sit where someone sits. And to walk where someone walks. Because until you walk where I've walked and experience what I've experienced, you can't possibly understand what it's like to be me. And I can't possibly understand what it's like to be you because I haven't lived your life. But we serve a God who said, that's not enough for me. I want to walk where you walk. I want to sit where you sit. I want to go through what you go through because I want to understand. My love for you goes beyond a solution. I want to know what it's like to be you. So he answered the question after he understood the question. He solved the problem after he understood. The Bible says he went up and he gave his life is that sacrifice for us, and he died, and he went into that tomb, and while his body was dead, his spirit was working. His spirit was working, because he went back in, and he took back, Everything that the enemy has stolen from us the bible says that he came back to life with the keys of death of hell and the grave He took back all the authority that we lost. He took back the position that we lost He took back the relationship with god that we lost and he gave it back to us And he said now through me and my authority my covering and my blood I have given you back what was taken from you. He gave us back our standing He gave us back everything that we lost Everything. And here comes the enemy again. Because this whole experience in the Garden of Eden wasn't about Eve. It was about Adam. He used Eve as an inroad to get to the authority that Adam had. And he's still doing the same thing today with men all across this country, all across this world. He's still playing the same game. The only difference is Eve looks a little bit different today. Eve's not a woman in a garden. Eve can be a woman. But Eve looks a whole lot different, a lot of different avenues. Why? Because he's going after you, men. He's going after you. He's going after your authority and your position in the home. He's going after your dominion in this world. He's going after you because God has chosen to represent his authority and kingdom in this world, first through the man as the head of the home. And he knows that if he can take out the man and take out the covering, then everything else is open for attack. He's still playing the same game. He's still whispering the same lies. He's still selling the same jive. He's still looking for a chump to fool. He's still doing his stuff. He's just doing it today and not just in a garden. Guys, men, listen. We have got to be sharp. We got to be sharp because there's a whole lot more at stake than our comfort. There's a whole lot more at stake than us falling into temptation, not us falling into sin. You're talking about a spiritual door being open for your family to be vulnerable for attack. And not just your family, but for the church. Guys, your walk with God is incredibly important and you overcoming the temptations of the enemy is incredibly important because if he can take you out, then he's got an open door to do what he wants to do. If I told you that I could bring an assistant into your life that wouldn't cost you anything but would take care of all the stuff that you don't have time to get to as a parent with your kids and as your household, they would come in and fill the gaps and take care of all that extra stuff for you so you could just come in and handle the stuff that you're comfortable with And then let them handle the rest. Wouldn't that be awesome? That would be awesome in theory. To let a stranger come in, or maybe even someone you kind of know come in, and fill those roles in your household. But what if I told you that that guy that you're bringing in or that lady that you bring in is going to start sweet talking your wife and become that source of romance in her heart that you were supposed to be, guys. Would you be cool with it then? that he was going to be the one snuggling up with your lady. That he was going to be the one whispering those things in her ear. What if I told you this person was going to come into your house and they were going to teach your daughter that she's just a sexual object? Every man in this room just went, "Uh uh-uh, Jack. (laughs) Not not on my watch. (laughs) A sexual object. And they were going to teach her that if she wants affection and if she wants attention, she's going to have to sexualize her body in order to get it. And her body's going to be a tool to get what she needs emotionally in her life. That her value is tied to her image. And her image is tied to how she presents her body. What if I told you he was going to tell your sons that it was okay to bait women and use love to get sex? And to treat women like sexual objects? And now the game goes, because guys use love to get sex, and women use sex to get love, and so they play this game. What if that guy gave your kids that kind of advice? while they were filling the roles that you weren't comfortable with filling, they were filling in the gaps that you couldn't get to with your household. That's getting kind of messed up, isn't it? Probably there's not a dad in here that would be comfortable with it. I know there's probably not a mom in here that would be comfortable with it. But we do it every day, don't we? Men, when we don't operate in our spiritual role, when we don't stand in that gap and be that authority figure in the home, submitted under the authority of God, acting in authority in our home, we leave gaps that the enemy comes in to fill in our family. When we aren't the husbands to our wives that we should be, he comes in to give them the emotional stability that they crave, and it comes in through illegitimate sources. And over time... You'll lose the heart of your woman. And over time, you'll lose the heart of your kids. And over time, because we don't step in and fill all the gaps and operate on all roles, he comes in and fills the gaps and he takes on all the roles that we're not comfortable with because we don't cover our family in prayer. He comes in and wreaks havoc in the home. And we step back and we wonder, how did it all fall apart? Why are my kids losing their mind? Why can't my wife love me like she used to? And it's because we've slacked As men, we've let our guard down and we've let the enemy come in. I want to challenge you today, men, to be a man of God in your home, to set the standard, to not leave any gaps anywhere for anyone to come in and fill a role that you're supposed to operate in in your home. Be the man of God that he's called you to be. Amen? Be the man of God. Oh, that deserved a whole lot more clapping than it got. Be the man of God in your home. Why are you so mad, Josh? I'm not mad, I'm passionate. I'm passionate about this because I know the potential that lies in a man that is sold out for God. And I also know the downside of a guy who's put it in cruise control and is just letting life happen while he goes through not being who he should be biblically in his home. And I'll show you some of those results. Did you know that in America, approximately one-third of the children that are born are conceived out of wedlock? Isn't that crazy? Not that God couldn't do something powerful through that situation, but it points to a bigger problem. It points to women who don't understand their value and to men who don't respect their value. Ladies, I want to challenge you. Listen, be sexually pure in your relationships. Guys, be sexually pure in your relationships. Honor God with your bodies. Well, he loves me. If you don't have a ring on that finger, don't even talk about how he loves you. If y'all are shacking up and you're putting out and you don't have a ring on your finger, you're not being loved, you're being used. If he hasn't stepped up and made the commitment to show how much he loves you, don't you give him something that's only reserved to those people that step up and say that I will show you through commitment how much that I love you and that I honor you. But he loves me. Shut down that fun factory. Shut it down and say, you know what? We're 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 in sin. And we don't need to do this anymore. We're going to go to hell over this. I want to honor God with my body. I want to honor God with my life. We can be together, but this ain't happening anymore until you step up and put a ring on this finger right here. See how long he sticks around. You'll find out real fast. Either you're going to get a ring on that finger or he's going to find somebody else that he can trick. One third. That's just amazing to me. Here's another one that'll blow you away. Almost half of the children in our nation will be raised without their real father. Almost half. Because of a lot of different reasons. Most people won't be raised by their real dad, a stepdad, or they'll be raised in a single single home. Because men father children, and then they leave their responsibility. Listen, if you father a child, you better be responsible for that child. You better make it right. You better support that kid. You better pay for their school. You better pay for their health. You better pay for their food. You better support those kids. That don't you dare have a kid with a woman and then turn around like some flake and leave them high and dry. You be a man and you take care of that kid. Amen. Be a man take care of that kid. Why is that important? It's incredibly important because even if you mess up and you father a kid and you don't end up getting married because a lot of times like, people, people make mistakes and they get pregnant and then they get married because that's what you're supposed to do. No, 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 no. A lot of times that takes a bad situation and makes it worse, okay? Marriage is not always the answer to that. You want to pray and hear the voice of God and make sure you're doing the right thing but be involved in your kids if possible. Why? Because if you're not, we see stats like this in our country. Did you know that approximately, I say 2,200 juveniles are arrested each day in America? Each day. Almost everyone will tell you one of the main reasons is because there is not a father figure in the home to provide discipline and direction and support to keep them out of trouble. The father's a missing element. The father's a missing element. Roughly 25% of all violent crimes in our country are committed by juveniles. Murder, rape, battery, assault of any kind. 25%. One in every four. Because, in large part, our fathers aren't being the fathers that they should be. Guys, we've got to step up. We've got to step up. And even if we're doing awesome, let's step it up another level to be a better example of what a man of God is supposed to look like. Here's something else that you might not know. Approximately a little over 3,700 teenage girls will give birth to a child every week in our country. Now, that's give birth. That number does not include abortions that take place. When our babies are having babies, it's because they don't understand their value. And a large part of that is because they don't have a dad at home to tell them that they're valuable, to show them that they're important, to live out and set an example of how a man is supposed to treat a woman. And so they buy into the lie that they can trade their body for the emotional fulfillment that they should be getting at home. We got a lot of issues to fix in our country, guys. And a lot of it, a lot of it can be handled if the men of God will step up and be the men of God in our homes. Don't put it on cruise control. Don't let the enemy come in and fill those gaps. Don't you let your children's life philosophy come from a song that they hear on the radio. Don't you let their standard of a relationship between a man and woman come from what they see in a movie that you allow to be played in your home. You set the standard, man. You set the standard and you be the authority in your home. You sound mean. You know what? Sometimes guys need to be talked to that way. I know I do sometimes. Can't talk to a lady like that get hit with a purse or something you can talk to guys though we need to step up we need to step up guys we have got to be devoted to god we have got to be devoted to god everything starts and ends with our relationship with god we have got to be devoted as men of god in our lives we have got to submit ourselves under the authority of jesus because it's only under his authority through that relationship with him that we can properly operate in our authority as men in the household. Anything else is out of balance. Anything else is eating fruit in the garden. Anything else doesn't work. We cannot operate in the fullness of the authority that God wants to give us and be the spiritual covering over our home if we aren't first submitted to Jesus. We got to be devoted to God. We have to be devoted to God. In the book of Joshua Joshua drew a line in the sand, and I love this. I wish I could go back in time and be there when Joshua looked all the people of Israel in the eyes and said this to them. Because in this time, Israel was kind of floating around, and they were getting kind of loose spiritually, and they were adopting practices from other cultures, and they were beginning to worship other gods. And Joshua said, enough of this junk. I'm going to set everything straight, and we're going to bring this to a head, and we're going to solve this once and for all. And Joshua said, now fear the Lord and serve him With all faithfulness, throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day who you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. Then he said, but as for me and my household... We will serve the Lord. I wish I could have been there when he said that. I wish I could have seen the look in the eyes of the men when he said, you can do whatever you want to do. If that's what you want to do, go for it. If that's the standard you want to have in your house, you go for it. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. He's going to be the standard. We're going to honor him with our lives and put him first. You can do whatever you want to do, but when it comes to me and mine, Jesus is the head of this house. Guys, I want to challenge you to make Jesus the head of your house. And if you're here today and he hasn't been, this is a great day to start a new track record in your home. This is a great day to do it. Guys, we decide, we decide whether or not our home is going to be a home that reflects the heart of God. We set the spiritual temperature of our home. Men, you do. When we operate biblically under the authority of God as the head of the house, we set the spiritual temperature. All right, too many times, guys pass this off to the lady. Well, I just don't feel comfortable doing it, and I just, uh, that's fine. You don't have to be comfortable doing it, but somebody's going to step in and fill that role that you're supposed to be filling. And sooner or later, it's going to catch up to your household because the enemy's going to come in. Are you hearing me? The enemy's going to come in and wreak havoc in your home be the man of God be the man of God set the spiritual temperature for your home I, I would love as a pastor I would love to see all the men in this church worshiping God so passionately it would, it's, set this beautiful example for our families Instead of letting wives lead the way or letting the youth lead the way. A lot of times in so many churches, they let the youth set the spiritual passion of the church because these kids get on fire and the parents are like, yeah, that's awesome. And the youth drive or, or most most churches find that their volunteer base are women and what happens in worship is usually led by the women. And biblically speaking, it's not supposed to be that way because the men are supposed to lead by example in the church. You've got to set the standard You've got to set the standard are you coming to church this Sunday I don't know I need to check with my wife and see what we're doing baloney you're the man can I just talk to the guys for a little bit you're the man you decide if your family's going to church you're the man you set the standard you show your family that God has priority in your household Not by what you say, but by what you do. You set the example, gentlemen. And I praise God for so many of you that every week you set the example and you're here so faithfully, and I watch you lift up your hands and I watch you worship God, and you are setting the tone and setting the spiritual temperature for your family and for this church. And I praise God for you, but I don't want to be satisfied with just a few guys doing it. I want every man in this church to step up into the role that God has called us to step up into and lead this church. Amen? be devoted to God. we've got to be devoted to God. The other thing is this listen we, 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 we need to be providers for our family. We've got to be providers for our family and that goes way beyond paying bills and buying food and putting clothes on your kids' backs. A lot of guys we got this provide thing down. got to work, work, work 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 and for, for most men, our whole identity, is wrapped up in being that provider through work. And there's nothing wrong with working. I believe you ought to work hard. I believe you ought to work well. I believe you ought to be the best employee at whatever job that you have. You ought to be an example of integrity and excellence in everything that you do. You ought to work. But there are more ways to be a provider for your family than just paying bills. I remember when God was speaking this to me and and showing this to me a few years ago, because we went through a season where God was speaking to me and telling me, Josh, I want you, <laughs> this is crazy, I want you to get rid of everything you own, pretty much. I want you all to sell your stuff, get rid of your stuff. I want you to move out of your house. I want you to downsize so that you can be more available for ministry. And the path that I want you to take is I want you to move back in with your parents, with your family. And I went say, what? I think about that for a second. You're a 40-something-year-old man who has a fairly successful business, and God says, I want you to get rid of all your stuff, declutter your life, downsize, and be more available to me. That's a big step. So I prayed for a while. I put it before the Lord. I just want to make sure I was hearing: God, are you really wanting me to do this? Are you serious? Talked to Kelly, and she said, You know what? I really think this is what God's wanting us to do. Talked to my parents and they said, yeah, God's already been talking to us about it. And I went, well, okay, looks like this is what we're going to do. So we made the move and it's been awesome. But what I didn't know was this, that when we made the move and I cut back on work because we cut out a lot of our overhead, that all those clients that I had, I never thought how quickly they would replace me with somebody else because we wouldn't be at their beck and call to do what needed to be done. Nah, I can't take on 10 jobs. I'm just going to take on two jobs so that I can be available to do what I think God's wanting me to do. Well, you can't take on 10 jobs. We're going to find somebody that can do 10 jobs. You're not going to get the two jobs either. And I watched my business systematically begin to fall apart. And I found myself in a place where I could not be the provider for my family that I had been all those years. And God was teaching me something through that time. Remember him speaking to I was like, I remember praying. I was like, Are you kidding me? You see, look, I I know what it's like to make a lot of money. And I know what it's like to not have a lot of money either. Um (laughs) it was make a lot of money in business for yourself. And it all went away. God said, I'm gonna teach you to trust me to be your provider. I'm gonna be the provider for your home, and you'll provide as I provide but what I'm going to teach you are different ways that you can be the provider in your home. And so for the next couple of years, I, I figured out <laughs> that money isn't just the only way that you can provide for your family. There are a lot of different ways, and I want to give you just a few of them. These are some of the things that God was showing me. One, pro- protection. As a man, you can provide protection for your family. I got two daughters. Both of them got blonde hair and beautiful eyes and you know what that means that means josh is stockpiling guns and ammo that's what that means that means that my gun collection is getting big because i know sooner or later bozo the clown's going to show up trying to sport a mustache that hadn't fully grown in yet and he's going to try to ask my daughter out and i want to have a talk with him and i said son have you ever seen an arsenal before no come here let me show you you know what this stuff is for what people like you just want to let you know I love my daughters very much and when you're with them you're going to conduct yourself as a gentleman right yes yes, yes. <laughs> I don't think a pastor should talk about stuff like that I, I, I get that I get where you're coming from I'm a dad first and then I'm a pastor I'm going to protect my family I'm going to make sure that I do what I need to do to make sure that they don't get in situations that are going to cost them. So I'm going to look over my family. That means I'm going to provide discipline and parameters as a man of God. Listen, it's not my wife's job to set the standard of discipline in the home. She can help. My wife's a great disciplinarian. She's great at it. But in God's eyes, as a man, we are the authority figure in the home. So you work at it as a team, but when it comes to who's accountable and who's going to answer to God for what does and what doesn't happen in your home and what is and what isn't allowed in your home, you're gonna be the one on the X looking God in the eyes, having to give an account, sir. Not your wife. You. You're gonna be the one. Discipline and parameters. And that doesn't mean you've gotta be you gotta be all bitter and mean all the time either. I see some guys are incredibly harsh with their kids, you know, and they use their kids as a way to just get rid of all the frustration that they have at at, at work and with people, and they vent their day on their kids. Don't do that mess. Don't do that mess. Speak life and encourage your kids. Speak life over them and encourage them. You never know what the right word at the right time from a dad can do to a kid. I remember going through some incredibly awkward times growing up, And my mom would say some stuff and encourage me, and that'd be great. But when my dad would say something, when my dad would say, Josh, I'm proud of you. When my dad would say, son, you did that right. When my dad would say, you messed up, but I know you're better than that because I believe in who, I I, I see the potential in you, boy, and you're not living up to it, let's up the game. That does something in the heart of your sons and in your daughters. When daddy says it, it carries more weight, guys. Speak life and encourage your kids and have a relationship with your children have a relationship with them have fun with them man my kids are crazy i love playing with my kids it's dangerous sometimes because dad becomes jungle gym playground trampoline all that stuff when dad is home you get bounced on jumped on they want to climb on you and hang on you and, and at least where they're at my age you know or at the age that they're at right now you know i've got one that just turned 10 and one that's just turned four And, man, we we have a lot of fun playing. They keep me young. They keep me young. But it's important to have a relationship with them because the relationship that you establish with your kids when they're young provides open doors for communication and relationship later on. When they go through those awkward times where they're trying to figure stuff out and their hormones are making them just crazy, you want that established. later on in life, you build a relationship, you'll have a relationship with your kids can have a relationship, though, if you're not present in their lives. You've got to be present in the lives of our kids and our families. Gentlemen, be present in your homes. Don't just be there watching TV. Be present in your home. Be intentional with your wives. Be intentional with your kids. Spend time with them. Spend time with them. Because you're only going to get so many moments. You hearing me, guys? You're only going to get so many moments to talk to your daughter. You're only going to get so many moments to talk to your sons. You're only going to get so many moments to look in the eyes of your wife and tell her how much you love her. You're only going to get so many before time's gone. Be present. Be present with your family. There's an Olympian that a lot of people don't know about. And his name was Bill Havens. I'm going to show you a picture of Bill. This is Bill Havens. He was, uh, a—I a, a, guess you'd call him a canoeist, I don't know <laughs> what, the, what the phrase is, but he would, he would paddle a canoe and be in races, boat races with canoes, and the dude was just unbeatable. And in whitewater rafting events and, and uh, canoeing events, he would just demolish everybody. He was selected to represent the United States in 1924 and several whitewater events. And here's a picture of him um, doing his thing in his canoe, some boats and canoes. The guy was just unbelievable. Going into the 24 Olympics in practice, he was destroying world records, just just demolishing them. So everybody knew that this guy was going to win the gold. It was just, it was done. Nobody could touch him. He was winning races by 15 seconds and more. The closest person, 15 seconds off, 20 seconds off. He's demolishing them. Nobody could touch this guy. So while he's training the final year to go into the 24 Olympics, his wife gets pregnant. And they do the math, and they figure out that her due date's going to hit pretty close to the times that the Olympic Games are supposed to be going on. But, huh, that could be problematic. So he talked to his wife, and his wife said, "I want you to go. You gotta go. You gotta go. You're never gonna get this opportunity again. You gotta go." So he kept training, kept working, and the plan was to go. And they figured maybe, maybe they'd get lucky, and the due date would fall after the games were over, and he could come home, and then she'd have the son. But as it worked out. Four days before the Olympics, she went into labor. And so they were trying to figure out what to do, and she told him in the hospital, you need to go because you've got an opportunity to win a gold medal. You're never going to get this chance again, maybe. You need to do this. And on his way to the airport, he stopped and turned around. He came back and he made phone calls from the hospital and he told the coaches and the officials that he would not be participating in the Olympics because he was going to stay home and be with his wife when his son was born. He sacrificed that great opportunity. His son was born, his son was named Frank and, and Bill poured his whole life into this guy named Frank poured his every every moment he had hanging out with him, hunting, fishing boating and he taught Frank how to canoe and navigate a boat like he could and it wasn't long before Frank got just just as good as Bill was and, and Frank became a little bit better and Frank went on to participate in the 1952 Olympics in Helsinki Hopped on a plane, he went. Towards the end of the game, Bill, his father, at home, gets a telegram from his son. And he said, "Dad, I just wanted to say thanks for choosing to be with us all those years ago." just want you to know that I'm coming home with the gold medal that you sacrificed for us all those years ago. That's just awesome. When we put our families first and invest in our kids, and we're present with them instead of running around, working ourselves to death, Being present at home instead of glued to a TV and not spending time with our family. To be present at home, it makes a difference. My dad had this heart attack a couple of weeks ago, and that's why I wasn't here last week. We're still getting him back to where he needs to be, and so I was home with him last week, last Sunday, making sure he was good and had what he needed. And Man, he's progressing great. My dad is progressing great and uh, he's he, he's doing good. The guy's as strong as an ox, man, he really is. I remember when I got the call, we were still up here finishing up stuff on the building a few weeks ago and got the call. And uh, mom said, no, we're, on, we're on the way to the hospital. I think your dad's having a heart attack. <whistles> you stop everything phew, straight to the hospital. And uh, he's there in the bed, and they're giving him meds and trying to get his heart rate stabilized. and He's pumping nitro into him to get everything under control. And they're transferring him from here in Douglasville up to Kennestone, which is a great facility. And I uh, had my mom. They're transporting him in the, the ambulance. and Well, I was glued to my mom. Glued to her, so protective over her. It's funny. We drive up there. Mom's breaking down a little bit. How do you not? You know, this is a big deal happening to us. To drive her up there and get her settled in the room with Dad, and I've got to come back home to uh, make sure my family's okay. He's sitting in his room. I remember walking from. The main building out to the parking deck, and it just hit me. Man, I just almost lost my dad. He only had one functional artery, everything else was clogged up, and some of his arteries had multiple blockages. The doctor said, This was sobering. The doctor said, When people come in in your condition, they usually come in flatlined and we're not able to bring them back. Ow, I almost lost my dad. I was walking back to that parking deck that hit me. And I started thinking back all the memories. didn't remember how my dad provided for us how hard my dad worked my dad works hard my dad still works hard and think about that thought about the times when it was just me and him how about all those times we had together hunting or fishing going to a football game or just going for a ride to get something to eat, working in the yard together, remembering all those times and how special they were to me, especially in light of the fact that I almost lost the guy. dads you to listen to me your sons your daughters your wife they're going to appreciate how you worked hard for them but they're going to remember the time that you spent with them be present in your homes be present with your family why? because you can't be an example what a man of God is supposed to look like if you're not there. Paul, when he's writing in 1 Corinthians, he wrote this. 1 Corinthians 11, 1. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I don't know about you guys, but I want to be able to say that to my family. I want to be able to look at my wife and look at my daughter's look them in the eyes. Say, follow me. Follow my example as I follow the example of Jesus. Follow me as I follow Christ. I might not get it all right, but I want you to follow my heart to please God. I want to look in their eyes and I want to be some kind, some kind of resemblance of that man that I see in their eyes when they look back at me. It's an incredibly powerful calling to be a dad. It's a great responsibility. Guys, we need to operate in the authority that God has given us and the role that God has given us so that we can be the covering and lay the foundation in our families that we're supposed to lay. we got to step up. Amen? They look at us guys. They look at us. How many of y'all love country music? A couple of you can you say that in church? I like country music. I don't know. I hate country music. <laughs> I absolutely hate it. Uh, I grew up on it. I grew up on it. I just can't it's not my thing. Some people love it. There's some great there's some great songs out there in country music. And I want to share one of them with you this morning. I could go my whole life and never hear another country song and I'd be just fine. <laughs> Rodney Atkins has a song. It's called I'm Watching. And the lyrics to this song are absolutely powerful. They're absolutely powerful. I going to read them to you. These guys are families watching. Driving through town, just my boy and me with a Happy Meal in his booster seat, knowing that he couldn't have the toy till his nuggets were gone. I'm not going to sing this for you, because I want you to come back next week. I'm going to read it to you. I'm not going to sing it. I don't want you running out of here emotionally traumatized or anything. So the green traffic light, turned straight to red, and I hit my brakes and mumbled under my breath. This fries?" lying and his orange drink covered his lap well then my four-year-old said a four-letter word that started with s wonder where he heard that and i was concerned so i said son where did you learn to talk like that he said i've been watching you dad ain't that cool i'm your buckaroo i want to be just like you need all my food and grow as tall as you are cowboy boots and camo pants, yeah, we're just alike, hey ain't we dad, I want to do everything you do, so I've been watching you, got back home and I went to the barn and I bowed my head, prayed real hard and said, Lord please help me, help my stupid self, ever prayed that prayer before, help me help my stupid self. And this out of bedtime later that night, turning on my son Scooby-Doo night light, he crawled out of bed, got down on his knees, closed his little eyes and folded his little hands and spoke to God like he was talking to a friend. I said, son, where did you learn to pray like that? He said, I've been watching. hate country music stupid songs make you cry they watch us guys whether you want the role or not you're dad you're the father and whether you care about the example you set or not they're watching you. they're forming their world view they see Dad do. Guys, let's be the men of God that we're called to be. Let's be the husbands and the fathers that we're called to be. Let's lay the foundations. Let's speak the words of life. Set the example. Devote ourselves to God. Let's be like Joshua and say, I don't care what this world does. Everybody else can choose to do whatever they want to do. But as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. Let's be the men God has called us to be. Amen. Everyone stand with me, if you will.